0: Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a great length for transition times during the day or a bedtime treat. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, your host, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, friends. I am so excited about today's conversation. I have the acclaimed author Mary Laura Philpott here. Hello, (laughs) hello. It tickles
1: me to hear you say acclaimed author because mostly we just know each other as friend.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, yes, we are friends, but I will say live here that you are a best-selling author, a former bookseller, a former public radio host, and a turtle enthusiast. (laughs) I, I turtle enthusiast.
1: First and foremost, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm so delighted and was honestly a little shocked and honored that you had the time to get on the line. You are coming up on the publication of your your next book and and I can't wait for it, honestly. I'm really, really excited. And I knew I wanted to have you on so first, thank you.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh my gosh. I'm I'm just thrilled. And I'm really thrilled because you're just such an incredible writer, storyteller. I'll just back up and give listeners a little backstory and say that we met for the first time just a few months before the pandemic. And afterwards, and we got friendly enough to exchange phone numbers. Yeah. And afterwards, I was actually wondering if perhaps you regret regretted that I had your phone number because (laughs) after meeting you, I bought your book. (laughs) <laughs> and i kept texting i don't know if you remember this i kept yes. texting you photos of pages in your book of essays the book i miss you when i blink with like circles and arrows saying it's me oh my god it's <laughs> me here you go again i feel <laughs> so seen so first i apologize for that <laughs> i loved it i love it, it's
1: it's actually really sort of validating and comforting, you know, to have that happen every now and then, because it's like, OK, good. It's it's not just me. Like this <laughs> is actually resonating when
0: it goes out into the world. Oh, my gosh, so much. But I do actually have a question here. Yeah. And I am wondering if you feel like there is a moment where you realize that you were or wanted to be a storyteller.
1: You know, there should have been what. in retrospect. Absolutely. There are like 200 moments where I'm like, yep, knew it. Then knew it. Then knew it. Then um, I was in denial of it for a long time because as I, I think we often do when we are young, I thought about what I do and my strengths and how I use them in terms of professional terms and I grew up in a a family full of doctors so I was surrounded Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. the medical community that's what I could see and so that was sort of the path that I assumed I would follow for no reason other than that's the path I knew so you know I went to high school and took all my biology and went off to college and said I was going to be pre-med and you know (laughs) took chemistry and then took calculus and that changed and I became an English major and and (laughs) You know, I found my way toward writing professionally well into adulthood. But if I were to look back and say, wait a minute, when did I know I was a storyteller? Oh, my gosh, I, I could have known that from from early childhood. I mean, for, mm-hmm. from when I would, you know, go out in the yard and dig up. There was one point in my childhood where we lived near this meadow and and I would take spoons from the kitchen and go out and dig in the meadow to find Desiccated animal bones, like raccoon skulls, and then I would turn them into puppets, and we would have like a puppet show with the dead raccoon skulls. Like clearly, that is a child who is going to be a weird and B, a storyteller. Um, but I would even even at points in my life when I was in complete denial or misunderstanding of the fact that I was a storyteller, I was finding ways to do it. My first job out of college was, um, believe it or not, with Accenture. Just because yeah. that was a company that was mm-hmm. interviewing on campus and I didn't know what else to do with myself. So I went off to Accenture, learned how to do whatever it was I did there for a few years. I'm still not sure what it was. But one of the things I volunteered to do on my first uh, job assignment there was I'll start the weekly newsletter for our project team. And every week I will write up what we've been doing and I, and I will make it entertaining and it will be interesting. I mean, I was finding ways uh-huh. to tell stories even when I was not yet understanding that I could do this professionally. So that's a long answer to your question, but it took me a long time to get there.
0: Yeah. Well, I love that you have the um, presence of mind to realize that those childhood moments where they might just seem to somebody like, you know, weird exploration, there's, Mm -hmm. they're the beginnings. And I think that's, that's so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I want to talk about Bomb Shelter, your next book, because, and you don't have to issue any spoilers if you don't want to, but I was curious, I'm always curious when a second book comes, and I mean, I guess I don't have a lot of experience or examples of this other than you, but my question is, were you planning on a follow-up to I Miss You When I Blank sort of, was that a planned thing, or did this book sort of spring on you by circumstance? (laughs) That is well said. I can
1: I can feel you trying to avoid spoilers there. Um, after I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, like where to begin after I got back from the tour for I Miss You When I Blink and I finally had some time to think and kind of go, OK, what am I going to do next? For a while, I was hell bent on finding some kind of project that was not a memoir in essays. I didn't want to do, I miss you when I blink part two. I did not want to say, well, that was successful. So let me just rehash all of that and do it again. I really want, I wanted to do something different, but I wasn't sure what that would be. I don't write fiction. I've never learned how, so I wasn't going to write a novel. Um, I just didn't know what I was going to do. And while I was in that space of what am I going to do next? This book came and crashed into my life and demanded to be written. Um, and I say it crashed into my life because it it would sort of come unbidden into my mind, even when I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking about it. Like mm-hmm. I would be lying in bed trying to go to sleep, and my brain would be like, oh, wait, I just had this idea. You could take this story and this story, you could mush those together and make this point. Um, and what my brain was trying to work out and what my brain wanted to write a story about was this phase of life that I had been in recently, kind of a, a two year phase of life where I was feeling super anxious about the fact that these sweet, dear little children I have raised from babyhood were turning into teenagers and would soon be leaving the nest. And that nest leaving came to represent for me, like, just almost like the end of the world. Like, Mm -hmm. wait, I raised them and now they're going? And what does that mean for me? Who am I now? Mm -hmm. And it made me start looking around at all these other sorts of leavings and endings in my life. My parents are getting older. Um, My own human body is getting older. What is happening with time? Mm -hmm. And while I was processing all of this, uh, something happened that kicked it all into a different gear, which was that one morning, um, my husband and I woke up at 4 a.m. to a loud terrible sound that at first we thought was somebody ramming down our front door. It turned out to be the sound of my teenage son's body hitting the bathroom floor. Mm -hmm. He had gotten Mm up to get a glass of water and just dropped cold, unconscious hit the floor. He was having a seizure. Um, And I tell that story in bomb shelter, kind of the way that day went, the nine one one call, the visit to the hospital, the emergency room and finding out by the end of that day that he had epilepsy, Mm -hmm. which is just came utterly out of the blue And it made that clock that was ticking in my head, that clock where I was like, oh, in two years they start to leave the nest. It made it tick even louder because all of a sudden I wasn't just thinking, oh, the kids go out into the world where it's scary and dangerous. But this one kid in particular, how do I make sure he's okay before he goes? Mm -hmm. And I can't go with him. So what do I do when he's out there in the world? So it was... That's what I mean when I say Bomb Shelter crashed into my life and demanded mm-hmm. to be written because no matter what else I was trying to work on if I hovered my hands over a keyboard for long enough this book started coming out. So it 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 was going to be written no matter what I think.
0: Mm. And I'm curious first of all that's incredible. Thank you for sharing. I really wasn't sure how much I could say <laughs> what I could ask. Um and what a what a formative moment that yes, of course, like whisks your attention and demands to be (laughs) demands attention. And, you know, for you, creative output, which is really important. I'm curious, since you mentioned lying in your bed kind of thinking Mm -hmm. and your, your brain spinning. Uh, this is just a little technical ask, but do you sleep with a like notebook by your bed or something? Are you the kind of I person? Do. Okay.
1: All right. I do. I have a little piece of paper and a pen and very often I do write on it in the night. And I would say 50% of the time I can read what I've written in the morning and 50% of the time it is a strange guessing game where I'm like, does that say shrimp games? Why do <laughs> I write <like> shrimp games? <laughs> what was I thinking about shrimp games? But the thing I do that I think maybe is a little more productive, um, I got into a real groove in writing this book um, because it, it, the writing of it came at a time when I wasn't really working on anything else. A big portion of it was written during lockdown and the pandemic when I like, couldn't even leave the house where I would write all morning until my brain was just empty and worn out. And then I would eat lunch and then I would read something good all afternoon. I would you know read fiction, nonfiction, mystery, romance, just whatever I wanted to read take notes on it because I was kind of trying to absorb like good story making techniques at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then in the evening, I would, you know, I'd have dinner, hang out with my family. I found that very often right before I went to bed, my brain would have metabolized what I had read and mm-hmm. what I had worked on that day and had like come up with suggestions. So I would send myself an email every night mm-hmm. to open the next morning. And the subject line was always book. So like if you went into my Gmail right now, you you would find (laughs) hundreds of emails with the same subject line book and it and I would put in that email um, more dialogue in today's chapter or, you know, move, move this part or, oh, don't forget the part about this. And so then when I would wake up the next morning to work again, I would open that email and boom, there was this, you know, book telling me kind of where to start.
0: That is so fascinating. I love all those little examples. So thank you for sharing them because I, I mean, I, I guess there was, it was partly a little selfish too, wanting to have you on the show to talk about your craft, because I did an episode uh, a little while ago about this, about creating a self-directed practice for yourself. And mine specifically was around writing. I don't know if you know, but I did this, I set this random goal for myself of 80,000 words in 80 days.
1: Random and ambitious.
0: And I did it. Apparently I squeaked right <laughs> over the wire at a thousand and one words a day. My friend Casey Brown said that is the most Christine Co thing I've ever heard in my whole it life. It really is. It um, really is. <laughs> but the, the the reason I was asking about the pen is that, and sort of the practice for carrying inspiration is that I tell this little bit in that episode, but I I would do a similar thing where every essay I would write would give me inspiration for something else. So I just I started by just writing a word to re- yeah. jog my memory because my memory is terrible or tends to be terrible. And the longstanding mystery for several weeks was I just wrote the name Carlos. So clearly it must have been <gasps> in my mind at that moment, like a very important story about somebody uh-huh. named Carlos. And I spent weeks trying to think who the F is Carlos? Like what That's was I
1: hysterical? You didn't know who it was when you saw the note?
0: When I saw the note the next day, and for weeks later, I could not figure out what story I was trying to tell. I finally just deleted Carlos. It was really sad, but Wait, I never. So figured
1: out. So we don't know who it is. Oh my god! Now I'm obsessed
0: with Carlos. I I know, right? Some one I'm of these go days I'll figure like, it out.
1: I'm going to go back over every communication we've ever had, and like every <laughs> touch point I've ever had with your life, and be like, was there a Carlos
0: there? Mm-hmm. I know. I want to help you solve this mystery. I, I bet you will. I bet <laughs> maybe it's the name of a turtle. Who knows? I don't know. Well. So, I think it's so interesting you talk about teens and, and goodness gracious, yeah, teens and, and what happens with them as they leave the nest. I actually, uh, sorry if this sounds vaguely self promotional, but I believe at this moment there is a piece from me, by me, um, at the Washington Post related to the sort of pulling away that happens with tweens and teens. That's totally normal and also terrifying for parents. Yes. Yes. And, my question to you is, uh, and I think it's going to be a little challenging to encapsulate probably, but you know, give it a go. Okay. What message would you like your readers to come away with from your book regarding wrestling with uncertainty?
1: I love how you tied those two things together. You're like, you, you know, here's look, your book has a lot about teens. Let's talk about this uncertainty is my because this those is two overlap do. just <laughs> so much. I mean, mm-hmm. it's uh The specific smaller stories that I tell from my own family in this book are meant to kind of as a whole tell a larger story about what it means to be a human being. And what it means to be a human being always, but especially for some reason right now, means to be walking around in a state of complete confusion and with no knowledge or control of what comes next. And that's, you know, sort of the emotional plot or journey of the the me character in this book is trying to figure out how how do I kind of re-anchor myself in meaning and joy and Mm -hmm. even humor and all the things I love about life? How do I get up and keep going when, look, this terrible thing happened? Mm -hmm. Other terrible things are happening if I really think about it. There are terrible things everywhere. If I let my anxiety run away with me, all I will see are threats and dread. So how do I get that under control? And let the part of me that is optimistic, that does think, you know, it matters what we do, let that part come back into uh, into control a little bit. Um, I guess if, if, I, if I were to think about, okay, is there anything I want people to take away as it regards uncertainty? I would say this. I find it very freeing and this is kind of where bomb shelter lands, I find it very freeing to accept uncertainty and to tell myself, you can't control what happens next. I hate it. I hate that I can't control things because I like control. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I know you know that feeling. Um, But if I can accept it, I struggle less. And it's the struggle that is painful. It's the struggle Mm -hmm. against reality. Anytime you're, you're going... Oh, why can't I just make this be so Why, you know, why can't it just be true that if I love someone hard enough, I can save them and protect them forever? Mm -hmm. Well, you can't, nobody can. And accepting that does take the struggle out of life a little bit. And when I'm not spending so much energy struggling, I have more energy left to look around and see all the evidence Mm -hmm. and cause for joy and Mm -hmm. gratitude and celebration. So that's a long answer to your question. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I think it's a beautiful answer to the question, and I especially love the use of the word re-anchor because I feel like so many of us, all of us, <laughs> perhaps yeah. are grew adrift in many ways. You know, physically, yes, but mm-hmm. emotionally, during the pandemic, and I, I do feel like right now is a, a period of re-anchoring, re-anchoring for many people. So, yeah. 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 Reorienting.
1: Yeah. I feel like we all just kind of lost our compass there. A lot of sea metaphors
0: here. We could could just go all day with it.
1: (laughs) We are all boats bobbing on the waves.
0: (laughs) Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about anxiety and overwhelm, Mary Laura. We're going to do that after a quick break, everybody.
3: Hey there. I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together, we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood.
0: Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom.
3: Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs)
0: Turtle Enthusiast Mary Laura Philpot. Hi. Hello. <laughs> we're back. So, just before the break, you were talking about anxiety. Yes. We all have, have anxiety, and listeners of this show know that I am all about small tactical things in order to keep my own anxiety and overwhelm in check. It really is life-saving. So, I would love for you to share how you hold anxiety and optimism. And maybe specifically a small delight that gives you joy, even when, perhaps especially when, things are in the crapper. (laughs) (laughs) Well put. I'm so professional, right? You are so professional.
1: That's a very elegant way to put it. No, it's a very true way to put it. Um, I mean, on an ongoing basis, I do try to return as often as I can to meditation, which is a, a practice that helps me a lot. But... With which I need a great deal of help. I am someone mm-hmm. who absolutely has to use the guided meditation. Same. I just, I've never graduated to the point where I just go, okay, quiet my mind all by myself. But if I have someone in, in my ear saying, okay, now you're going to quiet your mind. Yes, I know that you are thinking about the calendar. Please put that over there <laughs> in, the, in the metaphorical box and come back to the quiet. That guidance helps me a ton. And I can feel that. In my body, like I can feel my Mm -hmm. body becoming more peaceful, my brain becoming more peaceful in the periods of life where I'm good about doing my meditating. I feel 100 percent better Mm -hmm. than the periods of my life where I get cocky and don't do it. But um, in terms of a a very specific little activity that brings me joy, and it honestly is kind of meditative. um, This past year, I have been taking um, a pottery class. Yay. Because one of my one of my little indulgences during the pandemic was I watched a lot more TV mm-hmm. than I have like at any other point in my life and I found this TV show called The Great Pottery Throwdown which is the exact same thing as The Great British Bake Off oh but with gosh. pottery Produ- <laughs> like produced by the same company and everything the setup wow. is exactly the uh-huh. same like they're in a room with all the different little desks but instead of making cakes they're making you know bowls and plates I watched every season that was available and I noticed that while I was watching this show, I got that same feeling I got when I meditated, like mm-hmm. my body relaxed. Mm. I'm telling you, go watch a few episodes. It's like Valium. Mm-hmm. They What they use for B-roll when the narrator is talking is just this image of like a little thing going around on the wheel. It's so peaceful. So when it was over and I had no more pottery show to watch, I was like, well, I got to get my fix. I got to get my pottery. And so I signed up for this wonderful, wonderful pottery class here in Nashville at Buchanan Arts, and I started um, learning how to manipulate clay. And I found that I am not great at the pottery wheel, which is what I thought I would be be doing a lot of, because that to me seemed very meditative. turns out that actually makes me dizzy. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I have been doing is hand building, like just the way you do when you're little with Play-Doh. You take a hunk of clay and you...
0: Make it make it into.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what I've been making, because to make a tiny little turtle is basically the same as forming a meatball. You just roll <laughs> up a little ball. It's, it's not hard. Um, and then you get to, you know, I learned how the kiln works and how to load the kiln. And then you get the turtles out. And I learned all the different types of glazing you can do on turtles. And And for this three hours twice a week, every week for the past several months, I have this break, this wow. wonderful break where my brain, you can't multitask. You know, you have to focus Mm -hmm. on what you're doing or you'll, you'll mess up what you're doing. Um, and it's been really restorative and just fun and something that is in a season of life where it feels like everything I do is for some greater goal or for someone else or for work or whatever. This is just for me. And I've, I just have loved it.
0: Oh my gosh. I, I can't believe how much we are the same. Like everything I hear come out of your mouth. I was like, I'm like, this is crazy. Um, well, First, I just want to draw attention and underline the thing you just said a few minutes ago about, I just find it fascinating, the idea of finding an activity, or I mean, in this case, it kind of came to you as it was happening, but an activity that took you to a similar feeling and place of when you were meditating, because I love the idea of looking for different things in life that can activate you in that way. And I think yeah. that it's just good to have options. You know what I
1: mean? Indeed. It, yeah, yeah. There are only so many guided meditations you can do in a day.
0: Exactly. And, and I feel like cakes are my turtles to you. Oh my gosh,
1: <laughs> they are. I love looking at the pictures of the cakes you make. They're amazing. It's
0: just very, it's, I think it's also cause it's tactile, but yes, it just pulls you away from, you know, the, the typical goal setting of the day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. Okay. My next question for you, I know we talked a bit about wrestling with uncertainty before the break, but Mm -hmm. we have parents of all ages turning into the show and tuning into the show rather. And I would love to hear from you a piece of advice about how to handle those protective instincts that sometimes kick in in fierce gear. (laughs) Oh boy, don't they? And then require a lot of dealing with feelings too. (laughs) They do.
1: Yes, they do. I mean here's what I would say. I'm not in any way a parenting expert and I'm absolutely unqualified to give advice. However, I do surround myself with people who are. (laughs) And, um, I learned something great in therapy the other day from my therapist who is wonderful. Um, I was stressing about, you know, any number of parenting related things. You know, I'm always worried about my children. And she was having me sort of enumerate my worries. Okay, tell me the things you're worried about. And I, and I was like, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. And she said, you know, one of the downsides to being a storyteller is that your mind tells stories even when you don't intend to be telling stories. So Ooh, you are letting, I know. Accurate. <laughs> I was like, dang. Good job, therapist. <laughs> right. Ouch. Um, she said, you know, your, your mind is telling you stories. And then you're acting and reacting emotionally to those stories instead of to reality.
2: Mm.
1: You got to come back to reality. And instead of going, this could happen and that could happen and that Mm. could happen. And then panicking because all those things are terrible. What is happening right now? Where is everybody? Are they okay? Are they good? Okay. Well, then the proper emotional reaction to everybody's okay right now is calm. Mm Mm-hmm. And she was exactly right. I Mm. was, you know, I was having the emotional feelings that go with each of the catastrophic scenarios I had dreamed up. You know, my my daughter has learned to drive. She's going to drive off to school. She's going to be hit. She could be hit by a truck. The brakes could go out that, you know, the car could catch fire. And then I'm in a panic because all of those things, you know, understandably create panic. Mm -hmm. But all of those things are stories I made up. Mm. The reality is she's fine the car's yeah. right there she's at school it, it's fine yeah and that the only way to respond to that is with calm so real good observation there by my therapist about my brain but i the i have found it
0: so helpful yeah <laughs> that's amazing i love that so much well the last like main question i want to ask you i don't know if it's selfish or not no i don't think it is i think anybody it's could okay benefit if it from is. this yeah <laughs> It it's can your be everything. podcast, Christy. Yeah. I'm curious about, so I mentioned I did this writing practice and I, I only, I didn't share, I haven't shared anything I've written, but I've just shared that I was doing it, which was mm-hmm. just fun for me for accountability. Yeah. And I heard from a lot of people in doing so. I would just like share my word count on stories or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I heard from a lot of people asking, you know, what are you writing? How are you doing it? All this kind of stuff. And that's what inspired me to actually record an episode about self-directed practices. So I'm curious from you, acclaimed author, (laughs) if you have what your advice would be rather to aspiring writers, whether... They have goals to do something publicly and perhaps publish someday or simply do it privately, whatever route they might choose to take. Yeah. What would your advice to them be?
1: I guess. that Well, I guess I would address both of both of those possibly overlapping audiences, the people who aspire to do it professionally and also the people who are very happy just doing it for themselves. Um, this sort of cruel thing is true about the period in a writer's career where they, they are in a writing career, they aspire to do it professionally and be paid for it, but they haven't yet hit that part where someone gives them a contract and Mm. a paycheck. Um, You are no less a professional writer during that time. You're just in the part of the train track where, you know, you haven't hit the contract part yet. Um, And it is very tempting and I, I don't know if it's tempting for everybody, but it sure was for me for years to say, I don't have to sit down and write today. It's, you know, I haven't been given permission yet. No one has told me that I, mm. I can do this. And mm-hmm. so I'm not going to do it later. Like now when I'm writing for, you know, I'm always writing under some kind of contract. I sit down and I do it the way anybody does a job. I get up. It's my job. I do it every single day. Um, I can look back at, you know, years in the past where I could have gotten a lot more done if I had taken that approach then, but I stayed in this little purgatory, this sort of self-imposed purgatory for years where I was like, well, no, no one's asking me to write. So I'm Mm. just, I, you know, I'm going to consider it a hobby and only do it sometimes. And, you know, probably could have moved things along a lot quicker had I been more understanding of the fact that, you have a writing career even before someone gives you permission to have a writing career. But mm-hmm. I totally understand that feeling. Um, also when you, when you have a writing career that hasn't come with a contract and a paycheck yet, you likely have some other job as well. So it's hard right. to find time, yes. you know, don't, don't beat yourself up if you can't write every day, but finding some, some regularity to the practice is helpful um, in terms of writing. And this goes for everybody, whether you're trying to do it professionally or you are doing it purely for your own enjoyment. I think setting aside time on a regular basis, maybe every day, maybe it's a few times a week, to read with a pencil in your hand Mm. and read Mm -hmm. not just the type of thing that you aspire to write or that you are writing, but read outside that category. That's, um, when I think about what makes Bomb Shelter, I think, a better book than I Miss You When I Blink, Absolutely no offense to I Miss You When I Blink. It's a good book, but I think Bomb Shelter is better. And part of what makes it better is that I was spending part of every day when I was writing this book, reading Mm. other people who know how to make good stories. You know, I was reading rom-coms. I was reading suspense. I was reading um, biographies. Any great writer who has told a great story in a book has something you can learn Mm -hmm. from them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, reading with a pencil in your hand just means that when you do observe something and go, man, that's great how they did that. You can, you know, make a little star or whatever, and and your brain soaks it up a little Mm -hmm. bit more. Mm -hmm. So that's I guess that would be my advice.
0: That's great. I love that. I love that. Well, my friend. We need to come to the close of this episode, which is really quite sad, but I will leave with one more question for you. Yeah. At the end of each show on Edit Your Life, uh, we end with a what I call your next edit. It's a really actionable tip that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening. And I know you just gave a tip, but I'm going to ask you anyway. In the context of our conversation, I would love for you to share your next edit for this episode.
1: I love this question, and I actually gave this some forethought because I do. I listen to your podcast, so I knew th- I knew this question was coming because this is the closing <laughs> question. I was like, "Wait, I've got to have my edit your life tip." <laughs> um, I have one. I will say it briefly, and then I will explain it. My tip is: when you finish listening to this podcast, go delete something. Mm-hmm. If you are a writer, go to whatever your work in progress is right now, and take something out. If you're not a writer and you do something else professionally, is there some practice you are doing that is redundant, mm. unnecessary, you hate it and could find a way to not have to do it um, outside of the professional realm in your personal life? Is there something you do that doesn't really have meaning for you anymore? Mm. And could you not do it? And if your first gut reaction is, Oh no, I have to keep doing it pause and examine that reaction for a minute because I feel like there have been so many times in my life where I have thought, oh, I have to do this thing because so-and-so expects it of me. Everyone expects it of me. But then if I really sit with that expectation or that sense of expectation I have, often there's no real expectation behind that. A lot of times you can quit doing something and maybe, you know, you get one email from somebody that's like, oh, you don't do that thing anymore. And you go, no, I don't. And that's it. You're free. So I delete it. something. That's my edit.
0: Good homework. That is very on brand. I love hey, it so thanks. much. <laughs> Mary Laura Philpott. I don't know. I always have to say your full name or call you MLP, but thank you <laughs> so much for giving me your time right as you're going into this uh, very busy time. That is book launch season. I miss you and I can't wait to see you next in person. Oh. But meanwhile, I'm so glad we were on the mic together today.
1: I am too. Thank you, Christine. This was fun.
0: Yeah. All right, friends. You'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes, at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at edityourlifeshow, or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening.